This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Tommy. And I'm Addie. And you're listening to Series 5, Episode 12, Heart of the Matter. And let's start it off with some announcements. Well, one announcement. Uh, we've been letting you guys know for a couple weeks now that we are going to Gen Con. And don't forget, our announcement is we're going to Gen Con. Yeah! Hopefully we see some of you there. It's just a few days away. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. Um, if you are unable to go to Gen Con or just feel like it, uh, check out our Instagram and Twitter. We will be posting on there while we're at Gen Con as much as we can. We're going to be having tons of fun. Uh, hopefully uh, we get to chat with some you while we're there too. Uh, yeah, this is our second Gen Con. And uh, if you guys happen to run into us, uh, we've got uh, Tommy and me and Dan and Ryan and Bree actually are all attending this year. So, uh, oh, and Roman too. Yeah, Roman will be there. Oh, the illustrious casual yeah. returns. Basically, every <laughs> every cast member of Essential NBCs, except for Seth and Sean, is going to be at Gen Con this year. Uh, and we're really excited, but not as excited as I am for Words with the GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. Uh, this Words with the GM Hello. is about Series 5, Episode 11, Kothan Care. Uh, yeah, this campaign's dip into a fantasy setting. <laughs> For sure. And uh, it's not exactly totally original. You sourced this from somewhere, didn't you? Yes, um, to a point. Uh, cares are actually um, an element directly from the RPG known as Earth Dawn, uh, which in the long, long ago uh, <laughs> was set in the same universe as Shadowrun, where Shadowrun is the sixth world, Earthdawn was the fourth world. Um, and so there were a lot of parallels between the two games and uh, it, and one of the or and one of the elements of Earthdawn was uh, uh, that, they had this like pending apocalypse of these uh, of these horrors that were coming from distant metaplanes, and they built these cares uh, underground to protect their people. Um, and uh, uh, Earthon's a really really cool setting. I mean, obviously it is the Shadowrun setting, so the same kind of. Uh, concept of like spirits and magic and stuff, just no cyberpunk. Um, the RPG died a long time ago. They don't, they haven't printed more of it in a really long time. And at some point when Catalyst got a hold of the Shadowrun system, uh, the two publishers made a deliberate breaking of the canon uh, so that officially Earthon is no longer part of the Shadowrun universe. Uh, Shadowrun's changed enough so that like they don't really mesh together perfectly. Um, but... Even still, like some of the elements of Earthdawn do still seep into the Shadowrun lore. And the more and more I was plotting for this campaign, I just I just couldn't resist just dipping into that lore a little bit and and bringing the uh, bringing a care into my campaign, uh, and really just like giving giving the RP or giving this campaign a real healthy dose of uh, mysticism. Uh, yeah, and actually that's a pretty good tool that uh, isn't just limited to Shadowrun. Um, pulling from sort of the history. Uh, 
you can see that in D&D with the revitalization and sort of reimagining of like the really famous dungeon of Tomb of Horrors, which is, um, you know, being reimagined as Tomb of Annihilation, which is coming out soon. Uh, and you can do that. Um, with your campaigns and uh, it'll always surprise your players because that's the whole point right to to like catch them a little off guard like what is this yeah and, yeah. and it can also work a little bit um uh, it doesn't really necessarily work with earth on and the cares because it's kind of like a an obscure uh, a thing to dip into for Shadowrun for some groups um uh, many of them wouldn't even know that earth was a thing uh, but like if you do dip into other systems or other settings and kind of like tip your hat to them or just flat out borrow them and transplant them into your world, uh, that can, that can, uh, have a level of familiarity for your players, which, uh, which can kind of streamline some bits. Like if you guys have played a whole lot of like one setting and you borrow an element from that setting and put it into a new campaign, uh, when you do that, your players will really quickly know like, oh yeah, we know this. And then you can either use that to streamline things and have them kind of feel really comfortable, or you can use it to subvert their expectations and change just little things so that they assume that it's going to go one way and then it doesn't and, uh, and just make it a really fun experience while also, uh, simplifying your job as a GM a little bit, because if you just like borrow, you know, uh, it's kind of, you know, repeating and rinsing and like recycling, uh, things that you've done before, um, so that like maybe some of the prep work is already done, you know, just, you know, change a couple numbers, adjust it for a different system, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So, um, definitely when you are writing your campaign, don't be afraid to, uh, reach back, uh, do a little bit of history, um, into your system. And also, uh, as sort of a, a side tip, you can also, uh, look into, you know, lots of things to pull into your campaign. Uh, Dan famously ran a one shot for us, um, that was inception inspired D and D. Um, and, uh, it was a really fun time and we were totally, you know, sort of like off kilter for a while until Roman was like, it's inception. <laughs> uh, and it was a really, uh, fun moment for everybody. And, and I think that it can, um, with a little bit of creativity, uh, pulling from histories and also from pop culture, um, can really spice up, uh, your, your, your groove. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, and there's no shame in that. Uh, I mean, look back at, the first Shadowrun series we did, you guys basically were in Batman Beyond. You worked for <laughs> old Batman, and like I very, I leaned very heavily into that into that analog uh, because it was entertaining and fun, and kind of like helped me really quickly tell that part of the story. Where in a way that you guys could be like, or in a way where you guys could fill in the gaps. Um, it's super fun, uh, definitely worth doing. There's basically nothing to stop you from sourcing anything you want for your RPG. Well, I think that's enough of uh, us chattering. Uh, what was your favorite part? Ah, my favorite part from the Kothan Care episode. Um, I think it was actually before you guys went to the care. Um, basically, you guys escaped from the immediate threat of uh, Echo and her team, and you made it back to the manor, and you had this messy situation on your hand where you're like, okay, well, we just brought two people back to the manor kind of in a hurry. How are we going to handle this? All right, let's split up. Bryn, you talk to D'Artagnan. We'll talk to Maria and kind of like, and orient her and then we'll swap and we'll go talk to D'Artagnan and then you can talk to Maria and we can make sure everything works out because, you know, we're on a timetable. We got to move, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I love that in the middle of all that, Boomer couldn't resist just 
fanboying over D'Artagnan <laughs> for like a minute. He's like, after you guys had that really, really long, serious conversation with Maria where you had to like work to convince her to like not freak out, you guys walk up to D'Artagnan. He's like, all right, let's get down to it. That was fragging awesome. How'd you do that? You were all like, pa-ching! And we were like, whoa! And you were like, yeah! And uh, uh, it was like a nice little break in like the tension of the moment. And then just like, it felt like really true to Boomer's character. And so uh, I had a lot of fun when that part happened. I actually had forgotten that it had happened. So then when I edited it, I was like, yeah! <laughs> what about you? What was your favorite part? Um, My favorite part um, <clears throat> was actually, as I was listening to it, I was just really impressed with how on point Brie um, and by extension Nim was this episode. Just like every conversation, every beat was like very um, natural and to the point and true to the character, which I um, felt like she really hit her stride. And I love that because sometimes uh, podcasting can be pretty hard. Uh, You're thinking about a lot of things. And um, it was really great to see kind of Brie like really kind of stretch her wings in, in, uh, in this episode. I really loved it. Yeah, yeah. She did a really good job talking with everyone. Uh, the, the part where she uh, didn't give D'Artagnan back his sword immediately. Oh, baller. And then, like, talked to him. And then, like, even when he, like, kind of gave her a cryptic, like, agreement that wasn't... Or I'm going to w- need a hard yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing is, that wasn't really a yes. And I'm going to need a hard yes from you on this. And I, and I really loved how she, like, stood her ground on that. Uh, and, yeah, just we could go beat by beat everything mm-hmm. she said. It was just every time Nim spoke, it was, like, very, very uh, well put and uh, carried the scene in an interesting way. Yep. That's why it was my favorite part. <laughs> but... Uh, you guys are in Kothan Care. You've barely even like started to skim the top of that. You well, I mean, you made it to the top of the stairs, but that's it. Oh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I want to see what happens next. So I think we should move on in and listen to series five, episode twelve, Heart of the Matter. Enjoy. It started how it always starts. New team, new Johnson, new job. Except this time, it was different. First, the runners. You got Mouse, tiny sweet girl. More than a little funny in the head. But that doesn't matter much considering she's the best fragging decker I've ever seen. Then there's Kashmir. About as green as they come. Clearly out of his element. But when the cards were down, that boy proved to be one hell of a mage. Then you have Bumbles. Elf. Dryad. Uh, eccentric. If you're being polite, you command an entire arsenal of drones with enough firepower to level a whole fragment city block. He's the kind of runner you hope you don't need on a job, but if you do, you're fragging glad to have him around. Then there's me, a big red oni named Boomer. My specialty is sneaking in, geeking anyone in the way, and, as the leader of the group, keeping those three in line. Next, the Johnson. On the surface, sounds pretty straightforward. The next runner called Pretty Bee fell off the grid a few years back, but I didn't ask why. I'm a professional. Not a line of work, people are entitled to their secrets. Weird thing was, he was paying his hand over fist to help people. Had his clearing out ghouls from the sewers and Redman, for frag's sake. Like I said, weird. But it's not often you get a line of jobs with a little bit of honor in them. So I was on board from day one. After a while, we earned Brins. 
I mean, pretty bees, trust. And he let us meet his employer, Lawrence Whitmore. Mr. Whitmore was the last genuine anti-establishment businessman, according to my friend, Doc. Publicly, Mr. Whitmore had retired a long time ago when he was like really young, but he didn't really. It was all a ruse and in secret, he started shadow running against the corporations. When he got too old to keep running, he switched to being a Johnson and hired a team of runners to continue the work he started. But not us. We come way later. The runners he hired back then were Bryn's team. Bryn, his sister Enna, an elf named Lario, and an adept named Jason Black. Bryn told us that all of them had died a long time ago, and that's why Mr. Whitmore was looking for a new team. And that's when he found us. We could continue his mission to protect those who couldn't protect themselves, especially from the corporations. I learned from Doc that when you have the chance to do something good for somebody else, you should do it. So of course I agreed to help. Unfortunately, no good deed goes unpunished, and no organization rises without inspiring a rival. Havoc 66 arose as a dark mirror to Whitmore and Bren's work led by a madman called Hellion. It didn't take long before Hellion found out about us, and we learned that there was quite a lot that Widmore wasn't telling us. Like that Hellion was actually the not-so-dead Jason Black, the very one that used to run with Bryn. Hellion had turned on his old team, slaughtering them as he defected from Whitmore's cause, which we would learn much later was because he wasn't just operating alone. See, the funny thing about magic is, those of us who are able to harness it are as much under its influence as it is under ours. Hellion had gotten into bed with the wrong kind of spirit, a toxic one. Uh, the spirit drove him mad, uh, desiring only destruction. It took Whitmore's anti-corporation agenda and uh, perverted it, uh, causing Hellion to see violence as the only solution. But before we had a chance to prepare for the coming onslaught, Hellion made his move against the corpse and Whitmore. He broke into the estate and murdered Whitmore right in front of us. Then he stole Whitmore's personal shuttle, blasting off into space. As he, Hellion had set into motion a series of events that gave him the opportunity to hit the corporations where it would hurt them the most. Now the thing about AAA corpse is they're much too big to take down. That said, they did put quite a few of their eggs in one basket. Zurich Orbital Station. The station is, was, a seat of power for the AAAs. The Matrix, their bank, and even the corporate court was housed there. Like I said, a lot of eggs in one nice mid-sized space basket. Hellion's plan was to take over the station and crash it on Seattle. Not quite an extinction level event, but certainly a global catastrophe. Naturally, the only reasonable thing for us to do was follow him up into space and stop him. Which we did! Sort of. We definitely took Hellion out, just not before he had done enough damage to the station to send it careening earthward. But with a little help from Mouse, we managed to make the whole space station rigger interfaced. That's right, for a few glorious minutes, I was a space station. While rigged in, I had to break poor Zurich Orbital apart. It fell into the ocean in little bitty pieces, causing basically no damage at all. And we became global heroes. 
Except no one knows because we're shadow runners and the corpse would love to pin this on us. So we decided to lay low in Whitmore's mansion. It was the only sensible choice. That's where we've been since then, keeping our heads down while Bryn lines up the next job. And that's where I come in. This crusade Whitmore started is more than just a mission. It's my legacy. My name is Nim, and Lawrence Whitmore was my father. Whitmore sacrificed everything for his crusade against the corpse, including his relationship with my mother, L'Oreal. I never understood how he could just neglect us for his greater purpose. When I was old enough to join his team, he didn't offer, and I didn't ask. Some people would consider that a lucky break for me if they knew what happened next. When Jason Black murdered my mother, I faked my death and fled overseas. And it wasn't even hard considering my ability to magically impersonate literally anyone I meet. I needed to start a new life as someone else, to get away from him and, well, everything. I never understood how important my father's mission was until after he died. And then it was too late. It wasn't really a decision to come back to Seattle. It was something else, an, an imperative. I have to try to make things right in whatever way I can. I returned to the manor and met Bryn's new team. And apparently the mage they've been running with, this cashmere guy, ended up just like Jason. He turned toxic, betrayed his team, and ran away. I can understand why they've had some trouble trusting me. It took me this long to start letting people back into my life after a toxic mage tore it apart. Hopefully, they're not as slow on the uptake. The last time we left Crash 3.0, they met with Detective Maria Silva, a contact of theirs in Lone Star, who was trying to solve the mysterious death of her partner, Zachariah Wells. Uh, the team had been led to believe that Zachariah had fallen victim to a toxic spirit known as the Great Corrupter, thanks to their thanks to them forming a friendship with D'Artagnan, an assassin from the mysterious Mazashi clan. Uh, unfortunately, Maria Silva wanted D'Artagnan dead because D'Artagnan did, in fact, murder her partner, Zachariah Wells, though uh, Maria Silva was not aware that her partner had turned toxic. The team went to meet Maria because she thought she had a line on D'Artagnan uh, because uh, she is a good detective and realized D'Artagnan had a hand in the job that Crash 3.0 did with D'Artagnan. Uh, and in the midst of that uh, awkward conversation, uh, an Evo Strike team attacked. Our team of Shadowrunners struggled to make their escape from Maria Silva's uh, apartment complex, uh, only to be saved by D'Artagnan apparently challenging the Evo clone operative known as Echo uh, to kill him if she could, and she chose to stand down and retreat instead. The team then had to knock out Maria Silva to stop her from killing D'Artagnan so that they could escape. And uh, they then gave her the complete lowdown uh, about everything that's happened so far um, and uh, convinced her to kind of join the team. He, she's actually staying in the manor right now. Uh, with Bryn, while the team uh, went out into the woods outside of Seattle, um, just a couple miles away from the base of Mount Rainier, 
where D'Artagnan said his home was. He then stuck his little crystal necklace in the ground and they were teleported, presumably miles below the ground, to an ancient underground city called Kothan Kair. Uh, these cities were constructed apparently in the fourth world and uh, D'Artagnan brought them to meet the grand master of Kothan Kair, uh, who Bumbles actually recognized. Um, didn't know him by name, but did recognize him as the weird elf with golden eyes that sold him some special reagents for cashmere so many months back. You guys have sat down with Grandmaster Grundlefug to presumably ask him questions. Uh, he has sat down. You guys are sitting around a large table that seems to have been made from the trunk of a large tree. Um, there's random uh, scrolls and and such uh, wrapped up and like folded in like some some books, uh, paper uh, all over the place uh, here. And uh, the fireplace is low and crackling, and Grundlefug's golden irises glint in the in the shadowy office in which you are speaking with him. Uh, what do you guys do? So, the Great Corrupter, can you, like, pull her off? Or how do, how does that work? Do we... I guess my real question is, do we need to kill Kashmir? Or can we, you know, pry the spirit off him with, like, a magic crowbar? Or in, magnet. <laughs> or magnet. Unfortunately, in, in my experience, there hasn't been anyone who's given in to the Great Corrupter who was able to come back. Uh, they all either were burnt out serving her purpose or were slain. But you were trying to give him reagents to bring him back, weren't you? No, I was trying to give him reagents to give him more resolve to resist. Once you give in, there's no coming back. At least in my experience, no one has been able to achieve that. Has anyone tried? We've tried reforming people, yes. The few that we've captured and been able to restrain. My experience with the Great Corrupter goes back a ways. I was here at the creation of the Kair, back in what's now called the Fourth World. No doubt D'Artagnan has told you that the Kairs were designed to protect against uh, extremely strong beings from another plane known as the Horrors. So ultimately, the true purpose of the Kair is to protect its citizens. But once the danger had passed, it was decided amongst the elders that the Kair should remain hidden and secret so that we may continue to protect the world from unseen threats. This was in part thanks to my personal experience with the elusive entity known as the Great Corrupter. You see, it's sort of my lifelong mission, my calling. I come from a legacy of people who oppose the Great Corrupter. I call her Avadurun, though what she calls herself is anyone's guess. She is one of the four unravelers, as we call them, entities that only wish to end this metaplane. There's the Great Corrupter, the Stoker of Flames the Dark Preceptor, and the Malicious Rot. 
as he's uh, as he's telling you this story, he reaches uh, uh, reaches into his robes and produces uh, a piece of paper and starts filling it with deep weed uh, and starts rolling it up. Are the other three still at large? Have any of them have have any of them been killed? It's, it's believed that the unravelers can never truly be killed, as the metaplanes they hail from seem to create them. My experience is mostly with the Great Corrupter, uh, though I have heard tales specifically of the Stoker of Flames causing great wars that nearly wiped out Earth's population. The Great Corrupter is the sole denizen of a metaplane formed from the darkest emotions and fears of our own metaplane. You see, every dark thought, every evil act, every tragic moment of weakness... It leaves its mark in the astral. This is modernly referred to as a background count. Now, these dark signatures fade with time. Uh, They can even be pushed away from our plane forcibly by mages. Uh, However, when they leave our plane, they filter down through to the Great Corruptor's plane. And they give her strength. And effectively form her into a being created by metahumans' darkest moments. Every time the Great Corruptor rises, it's in the form of the worst of people at the time. Uh, This is not unlike a normal toxic spirit, say, a spirit of Earth that becomes a radioactive creature of sorts because of toxic dumping, these evil acts twist the mana around them and eventually strengthen her and turn her into this being. When magic returns to the world, the veil between the planes is thinner. And if one of the unravelers has grown in strength, for instance, If war rages, the Stoker of Flames gets stronger, eventually strong enough to influence this plane. Same can be said for the Great Corruptor. Now at the height of their power, they can actually physically materialize on this plane. In my lifetime, the Great Corruptor has only achieved this once before. And with the sacrifice of two other extremely powerful beings, I was able to weaken the Great Corruptor and send her back to her plane. Now, I knew that she would eventually come back, even after the magic ebbed. The world is cyclical. Magic will return. Metahumanity will be weak. The Great Corruptor will gain strength from that. And eventually, be able to influence the world. Leave her mark on it, as it were. So I decided to preserve the Kayer's secrecy, so that I could monitor for signs of the Corruptor's return. And uh, from what I understand, the four of you have personal experience with the Corruptor's ability to influence this world. Yep. Lost one of my best friends to the Great Corruptor. I'm sorry. I tried to wane him away. Well, I appreciate your efforts. I really do. She does seem to target strong, powerful beings and troubled souls. And then she twists their lesser instincts until they are consumed by them. Well, he was a bit of both, troubled and powerful. What are we supposed to do if, I mean, you 
humanity and metahumanity, like you said, is is always going to have darkness. How how are we supposed to fight the nature of ourselves? In times like these, where she can influence the world, we are at most uh, we are at the highest danger because while dark acts will give her strength, it's only once she's able to force people to perform even darker acts that she can gain her true strength and enter this plane, which I can only assume is what she's working towards now with your friend, Kashmir. What we do is wait, keep a vigilant eye, look for people who have been corrupted, see if we can stop them from following through on their machinations. Your solution's just to wait? Obviously, you haven't been very successful at stopping anyone from following through on anything. Hey, he tried to help. Yeah, did he succeed? My mom would still be alive if he had. Bryn would still have his hand. Kashmir would never have gotten sick. How did he help? He sent it away for a really long time. And then it came back. But he just said it's, it's, it's cyclical. Being, being mean doesn't help anybody. I'm really sorry your Jason was who he was and what he did was terrible. And But if we fight each other, then we might as well just go home. I don't want to fight. I want answers. I want to know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. How, how are we supposed to help? Just sit here? Can you, can you find Kashmir? No, unfortunately. The Corruptor has her ways of masking her intentions. Sometimes I can seek out people who are in line, but only so much can be done to stop them. If I were to venture a guess, those that have been marked have been on an increase, more so than is usual. I was able to glean that Kashmir might be a target, and I tried to reach out to see if maybe he was redeemable. Since then, I've heard of one or two others who have been marked, people that I wouldn't necessarily have expected. What does that mean? There was a police officer, Zachariah Wells. He was a good man, not extremely powerful even. Yet, uh, he ended up becoming corrupted, and eventually it led to his death. Like I said, I have experience with the Great Corrupter, and I have some confidence in being able to glean her intentions. It could be that Kashmir has become a sort of agent of hers, marking people, spreading her influence quicker than she can herself from her metaplane. Who else has been marked? Only two others. Who? They died. Around the same time as Zachariah, they all seemed to be marked relatively at the same time. They died by your hand? No. They uh, followed their lesser intentions and it put them in a position to die, which is somewhat the hallmark of the Great Corrupter. Right, so you've got three mages of underwhelming power marked by a Corrupter and a very powerful and admittedly charismatic mage running around touched by her you you have considered it's a cult right yes good i'm searching for any signs of it anything i can do but like i said as she gains in power it becomes harder to 
find her doings until I'm just cleaning up her messes. All right, but like we can work backwards. Give us some names. There's Zachariah Wells. Right, we knew that one, but like the other, t- I don't mean to be rude, but we have asked a couple times now for who. There was a college student, Eileen Flynn. And she did too. Yes. School shooting, I'm afraid. She was the shooter? Yes. And then Roy Oliver, who was a wage slave for Horizon. He eventually decided to capture his supervisor and torture him, and then eventually killed himself. How recent were all these? Around the same time that Zachariah was turned. And my understanding of what happened with him is that he went from being a good cop to trying to strike a deal with the Yakuza. The tattoo that D'Artagnan has, it sounds like most of the Mizashi clan has them. Yes, uh, most everyone who exits the Kair is given that tattoo. And he raises up his robe and you see around his wrist the same tattoo. Uh, And it has, uh, basically, it is a band of these uh, protective glyphs. And and inside that, there's the four symbols. Uh, And he points at each one of them, identifying them as the symbol of the Corruptor, the Stoker of Flames, the Dark Preceptor, and the Malicious Rot. So you're saying these actually work then? For Awakened, yes. I had intended to see if you were interested in partaking the ritual. Why hasn't that been used widely on on other Awakened? Couldn't that prevent exactly what's been happening? It comes with a cost. I see. A, a cost that can't be paid on a large enough scale to inoculate the world's population. And while the protection is strong, it is not impenetrable. Are you going to tell us what this cost is, or is it a wait-and-see kind of deal? I'm more of an upfront kind of girl. You need not pay the cost. It's one that I pay myself and Kothan Care pays. I can't say more than that. I'm going to give him some side-eye. <laughs> he lights up his joint. <laughs> <laughs> And takes, like, a, a, a big drag of it and, like, sits back and, like, rubs his temple. Well, if that's what you have to offer us. Yes. Though I do believe there's another reason you're here. Yeah. Um, I don't suppose all of this is related to, like, an underwater Evo base making clones. Is it? That would tie up nicely. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know... <laughs> The answer to that question is no. Well, okay. But D'Artagnan has talked to me of your friend Mouse's lost history and what you were able to discover. And that's actually the primary reason I invited you into Kothan Care. People struggling with the fallout of the Great Corruptor's work is unfortunately not entirely unique. However... And he looks at Mouse. Clones, though. Clones. <laughs> He's, he smiles and takes another drag. And the, the embers from, the, uh, uh, from his deep weed sparkle in his irises as he looks at Mouse. And he goes, To my knowledge, there is no scientific mean 
of giving life to a vessel. The problem with cloning these days is the best that even the greatest scientists can achieve is to make a functional duplicate body, but no corresponding life force. So for this project Zoria to be able to create a living vessel and imbue it with a unique and true sentient life force, and he gestures to Mouse, seeming to, as Nim would probably understand, seeming to point at Mouse's aura, which Nim knows just by having looked at it before, is like, a, it's just a person. She's a person. But she's also a clone. <laughs> and he goes, so I can only assume that Project Zoria is using some mystical means to grant life. And I can only think of one artifact that would give Evo such a power. It's known as the Wellspring of Life, though throughout most of your modern mythology, it's been referred to as the Fountain of Youth. It disappeared near the end of the Fourth World, as did many artifacts. They seem to leave this plane when magic slips away. Many people search for it, of course, but the truth of the Wellspring is that it, to use its full power, which is the ability to grant everlasting life, the force of it is too much for most creatures to handle. Even creatures greater than metahumans simply are overwhelmed by the sheer energy of a never-ending life force and are burnt out from the inside. However, those who have used the Wellspring have found other ways to tap into its power, fractions of its power, to cure uncurable ailments, to perform great feats of medicine. And it's possible that a skilled enough magician or team of magicians, a powerful enough ritual, could use a somewhat larger fraction of the, the Wellspring's power to create life. It is the only explanation I have in all of my years of existence for this remarkable woman who sits here before me. Would there be a difference when you create life with this wellspring? I mean, why aren't they creating life the old-fashioned way? Proven effective. I can't speak to Evo's intentions, why they would use the wellspring in this way, why they would create clones who seem to be no more than thugs, given the experience D'Artagnan and you four have had with the operative known as Echo. I don't know what purposes these clones serve for Evo, but that's the only way I think they could achieve it. Seems like an awful lot of trouble for something that is mundane. No offense, Mouse. I agree. One need not perform a intense, very, very difficult and dangerous ritual to create life. There are more pleasurable ways to do that. He grins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like... I test detonators on smaller bombs before I build a belt. How do you mean? <laughs> like, sure, you make a bunch of clones. That's pretty cool. But like, I can imagine, you know, I don't do magic, right? But an artifact of tremendous power is basically just a thing we don't understand. And you learn about stuff by using it for things. So, like, maybe they figured out if we, like, pour this much into a cup and throw it at a baby, it makes clones. I don't know. 
It's the sort of thing that if I had a fountain of youth and didn't know how to use it, I'd just start trying shit. He smiles and he nods and he goes, that could be one explanation for it. <laughs> Either way, I was curious as to what your intentions were with Project Zoria. You've obviously gone to a great deal, and ultimately I know you're simply trying to protect your friend. But what is it you intend to achieve now that you know the location of their base. I just want to shut it down and shut down Echo so Mouse can return to a relatively normal life with us. It'd be nice not having people trying to kill us every so often. They're a corporation with a fountain of youth. We found a bunker where they were trying to cure Vitas, and they weren't using it for that, and we met a clone who so far has only tried to kill us and it seems like they're using it for that so maybe we just take it away from them right that seems we didn't talk about this we didn't know there was a fountain until now wait i mean is it a literal fountain yeah did they build a water feature in the uh, underwater is, base is that why it's at the bottom of a lake or is this a, a metaphor for something the wellspring of life is no larger than a crystal. But, like, there's a wide range of crystal sizes. <laughs> there's a big one <laughs> up top here. We'll say the size of a fist, then. Okay. Uh, it does historically appear in the shape of, of a crystal of sorts, but it does require fresh water to harness its power. Hence the mythology of it evolving into a fountain that uses its power is this something where if we like touch it we're going to get our faces melted off i saw that in a trid once <laughs> touch it no to try and tap into its magical energies yes good to know uh there is one story of an adventurer who in the early years of the fourth world found the wellspring and simply thought it was cool an interesting stone with an interesting glow he was mundane, of course. <laughs> he simply carried it around with him, no harm to himself. It wasn't until a friend of his tried to tap into the magical energies that he realized he was carrying around something quite powerful. All right, so idiots aside, it's... Safe to handle. Even for those awakened, as long as it's not breached. Correct. So let's say we break in there. We get this crystal. What do we do with it? Funny you should ask. Like I said before, Kothon Care exists as a secret society with the intention of protecting the world from otherworldly threats. We have a sizable, impenetrable vault where I could seal the wellspring and it could pass into the seventh world safely i guess that works for me anywhere else it goes it will be sought after and eventually found you don't have like a sword that kills anything in that vault that we could like i don't know stab the great corruptor with if i did i would have used it already <laughs> that's what i figured but you know it never hurts to ask you don't have a sword that kills like most stuff that we could just have <laughs> <laughs> many swords kill many things <laughs> Right, but you're just being obtuse now. Bumbles, <laughs> Bumbles you don't even know how to use a sword, do but you? Boomer does. 
I do know how to use a sword. <clears throat> I mean, that I believe. <laughs> well, C3.0, I think we got our next uh, objective. Wasn't it the one we already had, though? Yeah, but, but now we know what we're looking for. Now we just need to figure out how to get there. If only we knew somebody that could pilot a submarine, as I look at Bumbles. I could do that. I need some time and more money. She hasn't actually tried to kill me. Well, she tried to kidnap you, and I'm not okay with that, if we're being honest. Mouse, you don't really think her intentions are good, do you? I think she fell in love once. Yeah, but, you know. That makes her a person just like me. Yeah, but you're our person. What about all the other not people, then? I'm not saying we shouldn't care about them. I'm just saying that if it comes between choosing... If it comes down to choosing between you and her, that's not a choice. It's a stupid question if you ask me. I will point out she was going to shoot Silver for being inconvenient. True. She's kind of a dick. All right, so it's settled then. Build a stealth submarine, break into the underwater base, steal the Fountain of Youth, shut down the clone program, and lock the stone away in the vault for eternity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can, we can do that, right? Oh, yeah, we went into outer space once. You heard about that, right? Uh, yeah, once or twice. I know you're jealous. It's okay. If you have concern for the lives inside the base, the clones, they are, in fact, people. And perhaps not all of them are there of their, free, of their own free will. And many of them would have difficulty integrating with the wider world. Simply their existence would rock the status quo quite a lot, uh, quite a bit. Are you saying you're open to refugees? That is the purpose for Kothan Care. We have room. And they will be easily accepted in our ranks. Prejudice doesn't have a home here. I knew I should have kept the hellhound. We're going to need a bigger sub if we're taking passengers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I imagine an underwater base has its own subs. That's a good point. We'll steal one of theirs. Steal one? They can take small bumbles. I can drive a dozen subs. <laughs> you can drive a dozen subs. That's the attitude. <laughs> well, if our business here is concluded, I think we have some uh, planning to do. So it would seem. I understand Elder Mako has given D'Artagnan leave to allow you to stay the evening. Uh, quick question, Grandmaster. Yes, of course. Well, how can I help you? <laughs> What's the nightlife like here? <laughs> I noticed there are some other Oni, and it's not something I see a whole lot in Seattle, so I was hoping to... Well, there are more than a few taverns on the, uh, uh, near the lakeside column. The younger denizens of Kothan Care spend a significant amount of time there enjoying festivities. Well, Grandmaster, perhaps I shall enjoy the festivities there as well. You're welcome to, for the evening. Say, Grandmaster, would you like to join me? <laughs> um, I'll buy you around. Uh, on, on the surface, that's how we, uh, that's how we bond, and I'm Boomer, trying to be polite. Leave I, me alone. I think the, the Grandmaster and I have some business to attend to first. Yes. Well, do you, do, does anybody here need me? 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some nice young oh, co-ed. Damn, only. I guess I'm not needed here. I guess I better just uh, take my leave and uh, leave you all alone. Bye. Bye. Boomer runs out the door. Uh, yeah, Boomer. As you run out, you run back into the uh, uh, into the chamber of elders. Uh, as you do, uh, you see one of the other doors is open, and someone is uh, someone's like kind of startled as you run out of the grandmaster's room. Excuse uh, me, excuse me, sorry. It's uh, it's an it's an orc female actually, not an oni, but uh, it's an orc female in her forties, uh, and she has uh, a cyber heart, a cyber hand, and cyber eyes. Well, in her forties. Yeah, that's old as shit. She's for yeah, an orc. she's pretty old. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing about us. We we don't live very long, so yeah. <laughs> you contemplate as you run by this, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, she goes into she goes into a different door under a different uh, uh, chair, and uh, you go running out. Uh, D'Artagnan is uh, leaning against one of the columns outside the temple, and uh, you run out, and he looks at you and sees you running, and is like, "What happened?" We got to go down by the lakeside column. Did you? No ask, time for questions. Let's go. Did you ask the grandmaster for dining recommendations? Well, specifically, I said nightlife. So no. Oh God! <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Wait for the rest of your team. <sighs> Look, mate. We only live like forty years. <laughs> I'm about halfway there. <laughs> I I understand, but. You are an outsider. I at least need to go with you, but I'd like to be here for the rest of your team. First round will be on me. Fine. Also, you don't have any money for Kothan Care. Oh, that's a good point. They probably don't take New Yin here. Can I just give you a bunch of New Yin and you just keep giving me drinks? Sure. I'll be your sugar daddy. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, in the Grandmaster's chamber... You, uh, Bumbles, Mouse, and Nim, you're all, um, sitting there. Grundlefug, uh, stands up. Uh, he's finished his, uh, his small rolled up, uh, deep weed cigarette. And, um, he like stretches out his back and there's like a pop. And then he goes, so Nim, we should go into the ritual chamber. Right. That's not creepy at all. All right. Yep. Let's do this. Bumbles, Mouse, if you two are going to be at the Mazashi clan dojo, I can uh, I can make sure Nim finds you. I'll have three eyes. That'll be weird and different. Um, what? <laughs> we could... How long is it going to take? We can wait also. Do it you will, want us to not? It will take roughly an hour to two hours. I got a submarine I got to draw. So <laughs> I'll 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 bring her to the dojo. Cool. All right, mouse, let's go explore this ancient underground city built out of magic and stuff. Okay. <laughs> uh Fug leads you to the back of his uh of his chambers. There's a a curtain there, uh like a a tapestry that he pulls to the side and there's like an archway that he leads you through. It's uh uh, lit by torches, the uh, you're, it's very, very quiet as you enter, um, and uh, there's like a light down maybe like 15 feet. Um, it's kind of like 
faint turquoise light. And uh, yeah, Mouse and Bumbles, you guys head out to meet with D'Artagnan and Boomer. Yep. And uh, D'Artagnan is going to lead Boomer to the neighborhood around the lakeside column. He invites you two to come along if you like. I don't know, Mouse. What do you want to do? There's no matrix here. Come, Bumbles, I need you to bring my wingman, right? Yeah, fine. Bumbles. Let's do this. I'll put on my game face. <laughs> it looks like your face. <laughs> it involves running my fingers through my hair, so it goes left now. And, uh, yeah. Um, D'Artagnan turns yep. to your mouse and goes, there's a small amount of matrix, not the wider matrix, but we've integrated some of the technology into our... Uh, into our culture, and some people have interconnected homes. Uh, there's even one family who has close to a smart home. I know. And you can see them <laughs> in the Matrix, yeah. Uh-huh. Is it a thing you want here, or is it a thing you don't want here? The wider Matrix? the the, the From, like, the outside? No, a Matrix. Oh. You mean, like, a host? Yeah. Do you want one? I suppose it wouldn't hurt. It would give people's devices more processing power. Okay. Is that something you can do? Yeah. Did you need it, like, this evening, or would, like, midnight be okay? It's hard to tell what time it is. It's not before midnight, right? <clears throat> not quite, no. Okay. You can see, how, like, the crystal shadows at the top. They move. Uh, yeah, I think it could... Yeah, like, midnight-ish. Sure. I mm -hmm. mean... No deadline, I suppose. <laughs> well, I don't have anything to do. That's why it won't take very long. Okay, well... I don't have to multitask at all by defending it. On the way to, uh... On the way to, uh... My favorite tavern, we'll drop by the, uh... The dojo, and I'll introduce you to Elder Mako, and she'll show you your quarters. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> he takes you to... Uh, that building he indicated before, the one that is done in the in the traditional feudal Japanese style, uh, as far as like you know, uh, the structure of the building. Um, and uh, when he gets there, uh, he opens it up. There's a large uh, room uh, with mats on the ground and racks of weapons along the side, and several different sliding doors that uh, lead to different rooms, um, rice paper walls, all that, and. Uh, uh, when you guys enter, one of the uh, panels slides over. It has it bears the crest of the Mazashi clan on it, and out walks an elf female. Uh, she has white eyes, indicating that she is in fact blind, and uh, uh, her hair is uh, braided up into like a bun above her head, and she wears like traditional like feudal Japanese robes with the crest of the Mazashi clan on it. And on her back is a long pole with a blade at the end, uh, a naginata. And uh, she walks up, right up to you guys and, uh, and she bows to uh, uh, D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan bows to her and goes, Elder Mako, um, this is uh, Mouse Bumbles. And Boomer. Um, I'm going to be taking Bumbles and Boomer down to the lower districts, but Mouse uh, is, is prepared to see her quarters and possibly improve the, uh, the matrix functions of some of the devices in the, in the cater. And uh, uh, she smiles and turns her milky white eyes to you, Mouse, and, and says, 
That's very kind of you. Oh, it's no trouble. Well, let me show you to your quarters, young lady. And she reaches out a hand. I take it. And you see around her wrist the the tattoos uh, that protect her from the uh, the unravelers. And uh, uh, she leads you uh, through one of the doors. Um, you get led through a couple doors. You basically get you know a small little uh, a small little room with like some very very basic like flat, not even like box spring of any kind, uh, uh, like bunk beds basically. And uh, I get in the top. And like a couple chests, and uh, uh, you see racks for what you assume are D'Artagnan's swords, mm-hmm. um, kind of like on a little shrine at the end of the room. Oh, this is D'Artagnan's room. Yes. Oh, all right. She goes. Is there anything you require? Are you hungry? Do you need anything to drink? No, thank you. I'll have tea sent your way, just the same. Thank you. And then uh, she bows and goes. The Mazashi clan is at your service. Let us know if you need anything. I will. Can you see me? <laughs> she <laughs> smiles, seeming seeming to actually uh, uh, enjoy your directness. And she goes, in a matter of speaking, yes. I, I'm seeing your astral form, your, your aura. My, my eyes are blind to the mundane. Okay, because you kept looking at me, and then when you extended your hand, it was right at and cool. Uh, and then she she goes, "I am Elder Mazashi Mako. You may call upon me should you need me." Thank There's you. There's not much I get to in my old age anymore. Just tend to the to the halls. And she seems to look around. Wait, does that mean that you'd like company? Oh no, no, you have work to do. That doesn't mean that you can't talk at me. <laughs> Well, have, has D'Artagnan told you any of the Mazashi tales? No. Nope. Of Ciro the Immortal, or... Oh, I've heard of him, but I don't know anything about him. Let me tell you a tale, young lady. And she falls <laughs> up like a stool, or no, she like drops down to her knees and like sits down like on one of the mats. Uh, and um, uh, she goes, one moment. And she waves her hand and like a little wisp of like, uh, a, like a little flame appears and goes and goes through uh uh through the doors and she goes he'll get us our tea (laughs) (laughs) and yeah she tells you uh tells you basically almost like they're not quite children's stories but the way she tells them it kind of feels like grandmotherly children's stories cool i don't know what that feels like so (laughs) and you have tea with the uh she does let you know that she is 120 years old Wow, is she human? No, she's, no, she's an she's elf. elf. She's elf. Mm. Um, cool. And then I build a host uh, while I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, sure. Roll roll a, a software test. We'll say uh, you work for seven hours on this to make the best possible host. Okay. Uh, I want you to roll software and logic. Start at a minus two because you are being talked at mm-hmm. uh, and you are uh, politely listening while also crafting your host. Mm-hmm. Um uh, every time you roll, mm-hmm. remove an additional die, and you get to roll seven times. Uh, after you've rolled seven times, tell me how many uh, hits you got. Uh, Boomer and uh, Bumbles, you guys go down to the lakeside uh, uh, taverns, and uh, D'Artagnan has a bunch of drinks with you. Roll edge for me, Boomer. Bumbles, how do I look? Pretty good. Just hold on. That's blood. <laughs> <laughs> I got one hit. 
so the only other Oni you meet is uh, is uh, a male. Um, he is a little bit younger than you. And, uh, yeah, he's having a drink with, uh, with like, a dwarf, an elf, and, like, two other orcs. But that's the only other Oni you find. But you guys do uh, have an excessively good time. I don't know if you're trying to achieve anything beyond meeting a nice Oni female. I'm drawing a submarine in my head while I wingman for Boomer. Sure. This is the best wingman you've ever had. <laughs> he just goes up and he's like, have you met Boomer? <laughs> Think about that, Boomer. I'm only trying like 30% right now. <laughs> no, I give Boomer 60% of my attention. Oh, okay. This. Yeah, phenomenal <laughs> wingman. Everyone's super into you, Boomer. You like you, He breaks the ice every time perfectly, every time, and disappears at exactly the right times. <laughs> How does he do that? He also like randomly will like distract people so that you can like talk to someone one on one if you want. He like always seems to know where you want him to be and always seems to be able to manipulate the crowd to be where you want it to be. It's like the he best night out you've ever had. <laughs> he is so fragging good at this. I need to I need to pay him or something. <laughs> Right, so then I thought maybe a turbine, but I figured that's not going to work underwater. You need something that can intake water, which is, it's got to be stronger than <laughs> just working on air. And then I realized, well, why not just use the tires? Bumbles, and that bumbles, just worked bumbles. perfectly. Bumbles. <laughs> Don't bore me with the details. What is the monetary amount? Oh, um, yeah, I need another 18,000 before I'm comfortable sending it against an Evo base. You know, okay, I can make deal. a submarine, but, you know, oh, cool, awesome. Uh, hold on, intercept, and I <laughs> head off an angry boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and before you know it, you're, like, having shots with the guy, and he has his arm around you and is like, you should come to the care more often. <laughs> uh, Nim, you enter this room. It seems you are directly underneath the crystal. Uh, it is angled almost like in a pyramid shape. Uh, it seems to have entrances. Uh, uh, it has nine entrances, Grundlefugs being the middle one. So you assume all the other elders have access to this ritual room as well. Uh, you see all sorts of glyphs engraved into the walls, into the floors, things you've never even seen before. Um, and uh, he goes over to one of like the stone cabinets and like pulls out uh, like a, a large like at first thing he's pulling out a broom, but then it turns out it's like a very large brush and he pulls out like a bucket and starts like, you know, mashing the, the like, uh, pigment together and like sprinkling in other, uh, things. And he, uh, he invites you over to assist him. Great. I will do whatever he directs me to do. Sure. Yeah. You work at that for a while, basically adding more and more things to this, uh, this bronze like pot that he is building this like pigment in. And then he begins to paint symbols on the, uh, on the ground with this large brush, uh, as if he's like mopping. Um, and, uh, within like an hour and like 20 minutes, he seems to have everything set up. Uh, is there anything you wanted to talk to him about specifically while he's doing that? The magic for the tattoos, this protection, is it something that originates from the from the fourth world? In a manner of speaking, yes. Uh, the the crystal originates from the fourth world, uh, and the crystal gives us the ability to extend this protection. And in return, you give something to the crystal. 
yes, I myself need to effectively transfer some of my magical potency into the ritual, uh, severing it from myself permanently. And the, the crystal loses a fraction of its power, something small enough that no one would really miss it or notice it per, per se, but the more we weaken it, the less time Kothan Kair has to function as it currently does. Are there other crystals, other people that can do this ritual? Uh, to my knowledge, no such crystal exists. Uh, in fact, as far as I know, Kothan Kair is the last Kair to survive the fourth world. Now, that knowledge may be incomplete. Many of these structures were built in secret. Kothan, for example, was one of them. But so far, none have resurfaced. No one I know from the fourth world beyond Kothan has resurfaced. Can anyone else here besides you do the ritual? The elders are able to assist. And, as law, and with me as the lead, we are able to achieve it. The, the power is somewhat inherent to me. I was born in the fourth world. Which is why you can use the crystals? It's part of the reason I'm able to manipulate them, yes. And he uh, finishes, what it, he like uses up almost everything in the bucket, and then he puts the, uh, the paintbrush back in it and like, kind of like leans it into a corner. And then uh, he closes his eyes for a second, says a couple words in like a weird language you don't know, and then he opens his eyes and goes, the elders will be here soon to assist. Right. Okay. Is there anything else we're supposed to do? He sits there for a second, thinks, and goes, at this point, no, not until the ritual begins. And he reaches into one of the pockets of his robe and pulls out like a, a, a little bundle of deep weed and pulls out a pipe out of another pocket and he tamps it in there and lights it and takes a puff. I guess we wait. Yep. It's only like another like 20, 30 minutes. Mouse at this point, uh, Elder Mazashi Mako, uh, who has been talking to you for about a little over an hour, finishes one of her stories and goes, well, I need to leave now. There's some business I need to attend to. It's been an enjoyable evening speaking with you, my dear. You too. And uh, she gets up off her knees, bows, collects the uh, the tea set and carries it out. Uh, yeah, and eventually uh, Nim, all the elders seem to walk in. There's there's the grandmaster, grandmaster uh, with you. Um, there is a human in his late 60s. And then eventually uh, there is an elf woman uh, with kind of like grayed hair uh, and some wrinkles uh, and milky white eyes uh, who walks in. Um, and uh, uh, the three of them assemble around the, uh, the symbols that, uh, that Grundlefug has painted on the floor. And Grundlefug gestures to the middle of like the uh, glyphs that he's painted and... Uh, uh, says, uh, Nim, if you would be so kind as to stand in the center, we can begin the ritual. At this, uh, at this point, it should only take another 15, 20 minutes. Sure. Yeah. I will walk into the center of the circle. You step in the ritual and all of them like close their eyes and extend their hands, um, kind of, uh, lazily almost pointing them at each other. Um, and they begin to chant in a language you can't understand and you see wisps of energy actually extend from each of their hands connecting them uh in like kind of making a, a ring around you 
and uh, they continue to chant and uh, and they, as they slowly pull their hands together uh, in front of themselves, pulling the energy from each other to the center. Um, and once they're in that, they do that very slowly as they chant. Like it takes them like 10 minutes to slowly move their hands from extended to uh, like pressed together in front of their chest. And um, when they do that, the, the strands uh, between them uh, snap and uh, kind of like break into several like shards of like light energy that zoom up into the crystal above. And at that point, uh, uh, Grundlefug uh, makes like a, a motion in front of his heart uh, with one hand, like kind of cupping it underneath where his heart would be and then uh like presses his middle finger right against his like sternum and as he removes his middle finger from his sternum you see him like draw out this like golden fiery red energy uh that like seems to like kind of glom onto his middle finger as he like pulls it out and he just flicks that upwards and it when it hits the crystal the crystal turns from a turquoise color to like a golden molten color. Uh, and as you guys are passing between bars, uh, uh, Bumbles and <laughs> Boomer with D'Artagnan, you see as like the, like the slight turquoise light that o- overhangs, uh, Kothan care at all times, uh, suddenly shifts dramatically to like this writhing golden molten color. And the crystal like kind of like casts that light out, uh, a little more brightly than it casts out the turquoise color. Oh, they do have a day setting. <laughs> no, the uh, the the elders are performing a ritual, I believe. To turn it to day? No. I'm kidding, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, that energy, the crystal actually dims as the en- that golden molten energy like drips down to like almost like a, uh, like it looks like a, it looks like liquid gold kind of like, at the bottom tip of the crystal and the crystal is only very, very faintly glowing at this point. Um, and, uh, Grundlefug says one more word and, uh, uh, like kind of like raises his hands in like specific positions, uh, like one slightly raised above him and one kind of like down lower nearby his like rib cage. And he snaps his fingers and the droplet falls down towards you. And, uh, as it gets nearby you, your vision switches to astral against your will, and you watch as it infuses itself with your aura, and you feel uh, not like a sharp pain, but like a like kind of non-painful burning sensation on your wrist, uh, almost like something is grabbing you on your wrist. Um, and when you like when you look at it, like you see like your aura like waver around there and you see like this these wisps of astral energy kind of like between your aura and Grundlefug's uh aura and uh and then it uh stops and your vision switches back to mundane and on your wrist you have that tattoo well that's one way to get a tattoo <laughs> Grundlefug uh smiles slightly the uh human in his late 60s doesn't react and the uh the older elf woman uh wearing like traditional japanese garb just laughs <laughs> she like she chortles amusedly <laughs> and uh and then uh Grundlefug, uh like bows to each of the other uh, to the other two elders and uh and thanks them and uh uh the human leaves and then the elf lady uh, uh walks up to you and uh says i am elder mazashi mako 
Uh, I believe you are staying in my dojo tonight. Oh, you're... Yes. Yeah. It's a pleasure to meet you. Likewise. And uh, she bows to you and says, your, your friends are still out on the town, I believe, though uh, a mouse has uh, set up in the room. I can take you there. Unless you need her for anything else, Grandmaster. And uh, you turn, you see Grundlefug. He looks pale, and the uh, his eyes are actually no longer gold. They're black. Or like dark, dark brown, perhaps. Hard to say in this light. Um, as the turquoise light in the crystal above starts to regain and glow and, and then quickly like re- return to its usual uh, usual shine. Um, and uh, he like is pale. His eyes aren't gold. And uh, he like is like panting just ever so slightly. And he goes, uh, no, I, I, I should uh, rest after that. Bartholo, thank you. We're not going to do nothing. I can promise you that. I wouldn't have invited you here if I thought that were the case. I'll nod. And uh, he slowly walks back towards the uh, towards his the door leading to his chambers. Um, you notice that all of the glyphs on the ground are just like gone, like cleaned completely. And uh, 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 Elder Mako extends her hand to you and goes, "It's a long walk." <laughs> I will put my arm through her arm. And uh, you and her walk out as you walk through her chambers, which uh, while Bartholos are very like nature oriented in like all of the decor, hers are very like Japanese, like samurai oriented. It actually has some like real, like ancient, authentic looking like samurai armor, like immaculate design. Uh, it seems to match her size. Um, and uh, uh, you go walking through that and she as she does she kind of quickly and deftly grabs the naganata that she's like placed in the rack there and like spins it around and like slings it over her over her back uh, and then continues to walk like a crippled old lady next to you <laughs> you know we were once told uh if if anyone came looking after after d'artagnans that we should uh we should give it back to them quickly uh, i can kind of see why is for your own protection. <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, uh, eventually you return with uh, Mouse and um, Bumbles and Boomer. You guys getting into anything else or just bar hopping? I mean, if I can get Boomer laid, I do. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I know how to solve this. I what? do generally what? keep my fly spy in my <laughs> breast pocket. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm just going to let it fly up and do a <laughs> quick recon. <laughs> Go ahead and roll a perception through your fly spy. Do it at a minus two because you're scouring like a whole neighborhood. I set it to filter out anything that's not bright red or blue. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is blue because of the crystal. Right, but bright blue. <laughs> that's one hit. Oh. <laughs> So doing your doing your uh, your your wing doing your best as a wingman, uh, you start to glean that Boomer's a little bummed, uh, and you send your fly spy up. It looks around. You don't really notice anything, um, but roll negotiation for me. Uh, that's two hits. Yeah. Eventually, you just ask somebody in a non creepy way, <laughs> like you you listen. My my friend here, uh, he's from out of town. He just wants to meet more people like him that don't hate him. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you, you give that sob story to a couple people and then eventually someone's like, uh, well, my friend is, is, 
uh, is out tonight. I just saw her. She's she's down at the. I don't I don't have in names for these. Uh, she's she's four doors down. Uh, you'll you'll notice it has kind of a, a kind of a granite front. Cool. Thank you, my friend. And uh, you casually lead Boomer. You're like, this place looks nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Boomer, from All your right, from yes. your perception, uh, it's it's like a, it's a meat cute. You know, you, you bubbles like distracts you, so you bump into her. <laughs> 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 and uh, and you turn around uh, and you see uh, uh, a bright blue female oni with uh, like white hair. Uh, uh, hello. Name's Boomer. Oh, I'm so sorry. I I didn't mean to uh to to run into you. I wasn't looking where I was going. Oh no, it's it's fine. It's fine. Uh, what's your name? I'm I'm Boomer. I'm I'm not from around here. You can tell by my accent. <laughs> and your clothes. Uh, you do got you guys do stand out a little bit because not that many people wear modern clothes around here. Oh, I've I've like slipped into the crowd seamlessly. <laughs> <laughs> God, he's good. <laughs> My oh. name is Anya. Well, nice to meet you, Anya. Can I get you a drink? Uh, she kind of <laughs> grins uh, and goes, I believe you owe me a drink. I spilt mine. Oh, what a shame. I guess I do. And then uh, I lead her towards the bar. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and roll judge intentions for me. I'm going to post edge that. Okay. All right, four. Yeah. Uh, you guys get along great. Um, I, I do bump into them at the appropriate moment and tell the story about the time <laughs> Boomer saved my life from an explosion. Except we're in like a field and there's also a bunch of kids that he saved. And it wasn't my belt in this version. <laughs> Just an overheated... Uh... I mean, not so much, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, roll con for me, uh, Bumbles. <laughs> Take a plus two, because there's truth to this. <laughs> That's two hits. Uh, she's appropriately impressed, and then when you leave, she kind of turns the boomer and like grins and goes, "I think your friend likes to embellish." <laughs> yeah, he sometimes he embellishes a little bit, but there's there is a little truth to it. Uh, but let's not talk about that. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you like Boomer, she does invite you back to, uh, to her home. Yeah. Boomer doesn't return, uh, <laughs> to the lodgings. Eventually Bumbles and Dart come back. Uh, Mouse, you finished, uh, working on the host. How many hits did you get? 20. 20? Okay. You make a rating four host. Okay. And you know, I, I leave my extra agent in there. Sure. Uh, yeah. You give your agent admin privileges and upload it into the host. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, uh, now Kothan Care has, uh, has its own host. What does it look like in the Matrix? Oh, it's a big turquoise crystal. Sure. <laughs> Mouse is a little bit literal. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And so, yeah, all of you are back in, uh, in the room with, uh, with Mouse. Um, Boomer does not join you for the evening. Uh, yeah. Anyone, anyone else doing anything this evening or shall we move on to the next day? I, I did we, my thing. I'm sleeping. Yeah, I think we just sleep. I'm pooped. Yeah. You are actually <laughs> quite drained, uh, uh, Nim. Not like heavily, but like everything feels a little a little heightened and you feel like your body's moving slower than it should. But like you, it, no one seems to like be looking at you like you're actually moving as slow as you feel that you're moving. Oh, that was a long walk. 
And uh, uh, eventually, uh, w- like when you wake up in the morning, it has stabilized. You are fine. And you all notice her new ink. That's cool. Does it protect you from dark wizards? <laughs> we'll find out. Right on. Who wants quiche? <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, I decided to get up a little early and make breakfast for everyone because I'm in good spirits. Oh, uh, wake up early. Is that what they call staying up all night? I mean, technically, I'm still up early, huh? Boomer winks. I eat some quiche. I'm famished. I worked so hard last night. D'Artagnan has some. He enjoys it. And then he uh, and then he goes and does some uh, some ritual. He like burns some incense and uh, uh, says some words under his breath uh, in front of the uh, the swords uh, and then uh, stands up, takes the wakazashi. Puts it on his back, right uh, horizontally across his his hip, and then grabs the uh, katana, slings it over his back, pointing over his shoulder, and uh, uh, then he turns to you guys as you're finishing up your quiche, <laughs> and he goes, "So, what's the plan?" I've drawn up plans for a submarine, and we're <laughs> gonna, I think, use it to infiltrate a secret underwater base and steal the Fountain of Youth. What? look it's solid it's simple i think we're on the right path here in the meantime we'll be connecting the dots between those the great corruptor has been affecting and preparing to fight an entity that is unkillable you know eventually i'll get to kill Kashmir. sorry i've been really pissed since that i I got more quiche (laughs) i feel D'Artagnan in on the Fountain of Youth bit, which I assumed he was confused about. He was a bit confused about it. You talk to him for a while. Uh, as you do, you realize he's not leading you to the teleportation pillars, um, but is instead leading you to like another uh, another district. And eventually, he stops outside a house, and um, uh, it is kind of like narrow and tall. Um, and uh, he walks up to the uh, like green wooden door and uh, uh, knocks on it. Right as you're like finishing up telling him exactly how it works, uh, he like he nods and goes, "Wow, like I said before, Kothan Care uh, is structured around uh, compartmentalization of information. So uh, it's interesting to be uh, to be more informed." And then uh, the door behind him opens up, and standing behind him, you see a somewhat portly uh, fellow with spectacles. And dark hair, and uh, you recognize him from your previous legwork as Isaac Boonin. <gasps> Hi, uh, Isaac. These are the uh, the four who broke into SeaTac to find you. I mean, when you put it like that, you know, it's not a big deal. It's whatever. I mean, that's not even the most difficult thing we did to get to one person. So. Oh, look, come in, come in. Tell me, uh, tell me, uh, uh, how I can be of service. What do you know about clones? Ah, yes, uh, D'Artagnan, uh, <laughs> mentioned that you, uh, believed. And he looks at you, Mouse, and he sits there for a second and goes, Oh, you weren't lying, D'Artagnan. <laughs> yes, no, I, I wasn't. <laughs> he goes, Oh. Uh, my apologies, young miss. You uh, bear a striking resemblance to uh, someone else. I suppose he showed you the video. What? She looks like someone. Who does she look like? What? That's yeah, we've crazy. Seen the video? 
Also the clone. Yes, um... I've gone over the video as best I can. Uh, he takes you into his room. He he has like a somewhat updated, uh, like the interior of his house doesn't look as like rustic and and uh, uh, fantastical. It uh, it has like a tridio projector and a bunch of different screens, and it actually looks like he has like a lab set up. Uh, and he he walks in. He goes, "I've been looking. Th- uh, I've watched the video uh, many times to try and uh, glean exactly what's going on. As you can see, the the uh, they're using a a a programmable assist biofeedback machine uh, to, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, uh, adjust the behavior of these young women uh, who are apparently clones, which um, how they achieve that beyond me, I have no idea. Uh, thought that was impossible, but I guess it's evil, right? So uh, uh, the, that's uh, the most I can glean from here. What the purpose uh, these clones are, I, I do not know. D'Artagnan told me you found where their base was, though, uh, using the information I had on the on the the, the restocking. Um, I'm not sure what more I, I could do to help, but if you have any questions for me, please. Uh, they've they've been more than hospitable here at Kothan Care. Uh, this, I mean, first off, this is your first time here, yes? It's it's amazing. Something like this can even exist, and and no one know about it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. We we live with a clone. <laughs> Fair enough. I suppose unusual and uh, uh, I suppose unusual is is part of um, part of your day to day. So uh, do you do you have questions for me? D'Artagnan said he would bring you by so that you could ask anything uh, that he may have forgotten to ask or not thought to ask. Do you know how maybe we could get in into the base? I um I do not know. It, it's it, uh, it's an evil black site. Uh, the the inherent nature of a black site is that uh, no one at Evo knows about it except for the people there. Uh, maybe one admit- administrator is the bridge between proper Evo and black site Evo. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about the facility at the bottom of the lake. Do you uh, know how we could find someone who would have that clearance? Well, short of breaking into Evo headquarters... Uh, I do not know. Unfortunately, I, I don't even know who who you would begin to look into for this particular black site. Uh, as far as my guess would my guess would go, uh, the uh, most of these black ops are funded by ex- uh, on the whim of some uh, some specific executive uh, who had some reason to uh, to to desire it. I uh, I do not know uh, who who would want to make uh, clones and then not even tell somebody that they figured out how to do it. I I do not understand the intentions behind this this uh, mission. And how exactly did you come across the footage again? Uh, well, I am a I am a scientific uh, programmer. I work on uh, on most of the equipment in the labs. Um, I uh, I troubleshoot. I. I I uh, reprogram if need be, um, and sometimes that means uh, going through caches. Uh, sometimes with experimental equipment, uh, the matrix signals get all all jammed up and uh, and uh, offshoot into uh, into how you would say uh, like non-existent matrix. They they are there but not there, and they they use up processing power, but they don't they don't really uh, achieve anything. Uh, so I, I go in and I, I scrub that out uh, and clean it to the best of my abilities. But uh, uh, 
in doing so with this particular one, it was right around the time that Zurich orb Orbital fell, uh, and and many of the uh, inherent safeguards uh, of the Matrix uh, fell down. And uh, while I was in there, uh, it, it, uh, I, I stumbled upon this. Um, you uh, you are hacker, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, you've you've heard of uh, of uh, of foundation of host. Mm -hmm. I found myself in the foundation um, during the 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 matrix spike of grid Overwatch going down. Oh, it, it was a, a somewhat trying experience, but it didn't last too long. Uh, but while I was there, I ended up finding this footage and taking it out with me. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, once I saw it. I knew that uh, uh, no matter how much I tried to clean it up, there'd be some kind of log that I had retrieved it. And honestly, after what I saw, I did not really want to... I couldn't look at my my home corporation the same way. I mean, you always know corporations, you know, they do questionable things, but the, the, to reprogram little girls at that age, I started laying the groundwork for my exfiltration uh, with the the hope that I would escape before the uh, whoever was behind this found out and decided to take care of me. Did you keep your badge on your way out? Yes, though I imagine that it wouldn't work anymore. My privileges are most definitely re revoked. Yeah, you know, it's just a good example of what we might need. Yes, up here. And uh, he, he pulls like a, a, a little like hollow badge. And uh, hands it to you. Uh, it's just basically like a, a clear a credit card sized, um, you know, piece of like clear plastic. And uh, and when you like kind of press on either side of it, uh, it lights up with like this little like transparent image of him and like his ID number and stuff. Thank you for your time. Of, of course. Um, if there's anything I can do to help end this, this travesty, uh, this, this black op, uh, please... D'Artagnan knows how to find me. Um, I've got common sense. Can I invoke it to like, is there something simple that we haven't thought to ask that would be good before we leave? No, that's not really how it's written. He has extensive experience inside Evo hosts. And if he spent some time with Mouse, he might be able to like give her a leg up on how she might uh, attack like just the way that Evo structures their hosts and where she should, where she could look, stuff like that. Like he could like in a way almost give her like a knowledge skill specific to that. So you, you, you dig around in the matrix stuff. Yeah. Yes. That was my job. I don't know how any of that works really, but mouse does. Can you like, shh, Tell her where there's holes in the walls. Does that metaphor track? Um, y yes. Uh, but here, yes. Let's let's uh, let's sit down. I'll tell you what I know. I'll at least do my best. Uh, yeah, Mouse. He talks to you for a better part of the afternoon. Dart and Boomer cook up some lunch for everybody, <laughs> and uh, uh, he does have like Matrix games and stuff that people can play. Like his, he has a decent entertainment system set up inside his uh, inside his house. Um, it's pretty comfortable in here. Um, and uh, Mouse, yeah, he gives you he gives you basically like just like he like 
to anyone else, it looks just like gibberish, but he's basically like writing you like the source code for like most of the Evo security. Um, as far as like, obviously he can't give you like privileges or anything like that, but like he, you can like understand at its core, especially since he's been to the foundation of the Evo headquarters host, uh, like what, uh, it looks like. And he, he also says uh, uh, like, and some of his information also like if for whatever reason you thought it was important enough to go into the foundation of Evo, uh, he can give you like a roadmap to that. So you can like find your way out. But uh, uh, yeah, he basically you're going to be operating at some positives for a while uh, in regards to Evo matrix security. Cool. Isaac, there is one more thing you could do. Yes, of course. Anything. I I feel like I've talked to myself horse explaining uh, the whatever boring things I noticed during my job uh, in the Matrix, I hope it's of any help at all. Mm-hmm. I know it's unorthodox, but it is possible that we could use, while we're at the black site, that we could use your DNA as a distraction to set off sensors. Oh, I suppose that's entirely possible if they have me on a on a list of uh, of undesirables. Yes, right. So, you know, we just need a small amount of DNA, like, you know, a little vial of blood or something. Sure. I have the equipment to draw blood here. Uh, Perfect. Uh, yes, of course. And he goes, he goes over to like his lab and, uh, and ties off his arm, takes like a vial of it. And he goes, he goes, if this can be of any service, just don't clone me. Okay. <laughs> No, we're not in the cloning business. Oh, good, good. And uh, he takes the vial and he, he hands it to you and he goes, yes, if that can set off some of their sensors, please, by all means. Thanks, Isaac. Um, that's really helpful. Uh, yes. The, you also, this isn't uh, before you like. It's, no, it's He's like, not, you're, you're holding that, onto the vial and he's holding onto the vial. And he goes, this isn't for blood magic. No, yes. it, no, I, 100%. Not, I don't do blood magic. That's not what it's for. D'Artagnan? It's, she's fine. I vouch for her. And he goes, okay, I don't want curse. (laughs) I have no no reason to curse you. Please. Yes. I've been very compliant. Here's the blood. (laughs) Well, all right. I've set as many high scores on your games as I can. What? Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) It took me months to get that scar. Well, now you've got something to strive for again. Whoa. <laughs> uh, you've been very helpful. You have a lovely home. I think we should be going, yeah? Of course. Also, Mouse, during your conversations with uh, with him, you can very easily glean that he is a technomancer. Got it. He also thanks you. Part of that is because he thanks you profusely for setting up a host. <laughs> it, says, <laughs> it says it really helps with the headaches. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my pleasure. So we... Climb that fucking pillar. Yes. Now D'Artagnan leads you guys to the pillar. You guys cross over the very long bridge over the lake first and then climb up the stairs. Uh, The winding staircase uh, uh, all the way to the top of one of the teleportation pillars. Uh, And you guys get there and uh, D'Artagnan clutches his crystal, says a few words 
under his breath and uh, all of the like the glyphs on this teleportation circle light up and shine and they start getting brighter and brighter and that kind of high pitch ringing sound gets in your ears. Um, it's not as terrible as it was the first time around. feels like you're a little more used to it, but it's still like pressures and on your ear and it's that very, very high pitched ringing with everything in your vision going white, even when you close your eyes. And then there, it, it gets to a, a, a like fever pitch and then goes and uh, you guys appear on the surface a couple miles away from Mount Rainier, and it is pouring rain outside. Ugh, that did not get that much better. It does take some time to get used to. I drive us home as quickly as possible. Cool. Yeah, uh, as you do, like D'Artagnan, he hops on his motorcycle. You know, you follow him to his route back over to UCAS Turf, uh, and you guys travel up through Puyallup, which is now all like all the ash is like muddy and it's real gross and uh uh you know thunder rolls in the distance and um d'artagnan basically on the way lays out what his plan is at least is to just work whatever contacts he has uh see if there's anything he can he can glean um and uh and he kind of is like expecting you guys to come up with like a game plan, you know, and he's just along for the ride almost making himself available and checking all of his, his connections to see if there's anyone who can help out. And, uh, then he like parts ways with you guys basically as you get, um, like halfway through Tacoma, he veers off to the side and you guys go the rest of the way back up to the manor. What's the, uh, what's the game plan, uh, moving forward? Uh, first things first, my cars are still very shot. And need time. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can fix them up over the course of the next day. You just spend the next afternoon healing up all your cars. Um, I have to go talk to Brent. Okay. Did you say Brent? <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, he's down in the hub. Uh, he uh, seems to have several still images of the van with a flat tire. It seems like it uh, it went back to Evo headquarters. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, do you have a minute? Uh, yeah. How can I help? So, um, th- and we've filled him in previously to this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You guys gave him a rundown. Cool. Um, so we're, uh, going to go into, to this place when we can find out, find it and stuff and I'm not really good at blending in or pretending to be what I'm not um but it occurred to me that when we went into that black site in the sewers that people thought well just just that scientist lady thought that I might be not me and be someone like Echo, but I, I don't look like that. And so I, I guess I was thinking that maybe I could look more like that, um, but I don't. What are you looking to achieve? Like, I mean, dyeing your hair or putting on a wig wouldn't be too expensive. I think I need an arm. Like a real arm? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Like a like a arm that looks like an arm that doesn't oh. look like this one. 
Have you asked Doc about it? No. He likes he likes this one. He gave it to me. Oh, so do you need to replace your arm and not have Doc know? Well, I think there's ones where you can like switch them out. Yeah, yeah. There's there's modular connectors for cyberware. That. Modular connectors for cyberware. And so I was thinking maybe I would I would get that. Yeah. That shouldn't be too hard to procure. Just like a synthetic arm. The, that looked like an arm, sure. if not metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I could look into getting that pretty easily. Yeah. And you and you don't want Doc to know? He would be the first person I would call. I asked him once if I could have a different arm before I got glitter and my arm became really cool. And he said, Blow Mouse, you should be proud of who you are. And (laughs) that is a very good doc impression. (laughs) And so I, I didn't ever ask again. Yeah, I can, I can do this on the uh, on the down low. But I can't. Can I? It's like maybe in advance. Uh, It's 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 fine, Mouse. You've earned some credit with me. Uh, uh, I, I I can probably make this happen. Thank you, Brent. Did you say Brent? Did you just say Brent? <laughs> no. Okay. I thought it was your name for a minute, but then apparently it, it's not. It was a joke. But then Boomer says that it is. So uh, I don't, I just, I'm just going to keep it to the original one that I knew. Yeah. Brent, Unless you want it the other nope, way. Nope. Brent is my name. 100% <laughs> definitely confirmed my name. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll, I'll let you know uh, when I have a line on. Uh, an arm for you and uh, and a modular connector. We have the equipment more or less in the infirmary. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we can do it automatically, but I know a few street docs I could call in. I can also help. Not with this one, Mouse. You're going to have to be unconscious. I could probably. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see when the time comes. Bumble spends the next day fixing his car. I'll bond with these uh, with these earrings. With it, yeah. Yeah, you uh, you sit with them for a bit, uh, wearing your mother's ring, and uh, in uh, not too long a time, uh, you feel the uh, the the connection to the earring, and uh, you activate it, and you feel the mystic armor like kind of like wrap itself around you, that extra protection. Oh, um, hey, Bryn. Yeah. There was one more thing about this this great corruptor. Um, besides Zachariah Wells, there was also Eileen Flynn and Roy Oliver. They, they both got corrupted as well. They, I was thinking maybe there's a pattern. Worth looking into. Yeah. I'll see if Mouse and I can get something on that. I could use her help for that. She's pretty good with pattern recognition. Uh, Boomer, when you eventually make your way down to your training yard, uh, you hear gunshots. And uh, as you as you walk in, you see uh, uh, Maria Silva uh, sitting there practicing with her with her pistol. Uh, she's got the target as far down the range as she can, and she's basically hitting it in the in the center every time. We got a pretty nice setup here, don't we? Uh, yeah, actually, it's 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 good. I like it. Yeah, the the cave's a little drab, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, well, I'm usually the only one in here, and I don't really decorate. So, oh well, no. I mean, it has all the essentials. That's all you really need. And she pulls her, uh, uh, pulls her target 
paper off of the rail and looks at it and you see like, you know, she fired like 12 rounds and uh, almost all of them kind of hit into the same spot, except for like one's just a little off and she like kind of sticks her finger through that one and goes, damn. <laughs> I wouldn't complain too much. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, well. Especially with a pistol at that range. Yeah, still, we're up against something like Evo um, and we got people like that. I mean, I'm basically a fugitive at this point. Evo's Don't got it. Lone Star in its pocket enough that uh, that I'm going to have to hide out here for a while. At least you're in good company. What did you guys find out from your little trip with D'Artagnan? She says that she like violently slaps another magazine into her pistol, uh, puts a thing uh, or puts a paper back in the rail, sends it back down and starts firing. Uh, uh, Frag, you're good. Turns out that they got the Fountain of Youth, more than likely, down in the uh, underwater base. So we're uh, we're going to take you to a more secure place. She sends the uh, target back to her. She looks; it's a little bit of a better grouping. She uh, uh, undoes the magazine, opens up the chamber, locks it, sets it down, and then goes over to one of your uh, uh, one of your like target dummies for. Uh, uh, to like practice your martial arts and she, uh, uh, she starts like training on that too. Um, and, uh, as she does, she like stops and goes, you don't mind, do you? I mean, you said this is kind of your, your place. Am I in your way? I could. No, not at all. I could always use a sparring partner. Yeah. Uh, Cause I'm going to be honest. The, uh, don't get me wrong. I love the other guys, but they don't make good fighting partners. <laughs> Uh, Not well, at all. I don't know. I saw I saw when Mouse stabbed that one guy with her uh, with her cyber arm. That was pretty fierce. It, yeah, but when it's practice, she uh, I don't know. It gets into her head. I guess she doesn't like practicing much. All right. Yeah. I always tell her you'll be a real fearsome opponent if you just practice more. She's like, no, uh, uh, no thanks, Puma. <laughs> I don't do good impressions, but you get the point. <laughs> yeah, I think I do. Yeah, sure. Let's spar. Uh, and she kind of like talks to you for like an update as as you guys spar. And after you've like kind of filled her in completely, uh, she like, um, well, here, let's go ahead and roll fighting tests. See how see how you and her square up against each other. Uh, you definitely have a plus one reach over her. You're much larger than she is. Six. So uh, she like kind of squares off uh, against you in the mat. Um, she like spreads her her legs a little bit, like kind of getting down into like a warrior stance almost. Uh, and then uh, uh, she like gets ready, and uh, and then you rush at her, kind of using your uh, size and momentum to try and like get a, get a, a control of her. And uh, you actually like. She soaks up the blow. You like go for like a like a uh, first. You go for a clinch. She ducks underneath it, and then you like try to knee uh, knee her in the in the gut. And she actually soaks the blow without like really like moving her her legs. Uh, just like catches it with her arms, and then uh, at that point you like she goes to like counter strike at you. She like kicks at your leg to try and sweep underneath you to like knock you down. And you you like block that and like get a clean hit to like her jaw and she finally like her 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 stance like falters and she stumbles back and you guys kind of go back and forth like that for a little bit she like impressively holds her own and then you you like ultimately like get get just a little bit more against her than she does against you uh, and after like a little bit uh, you guys have uh, 
like you know you kind of like stop you you or you seem to be like the winner if there was like a judge counting points based on like hits or something but like it's not like you've knocked her down or like knocked her out or anything like that you actually fail to clinch her the entire time uh sometimes because she's slippery and sometimes because like she just like you go to like grab her and she like attacks your your wrists with with like a chop or like a punch to like make it so like you pull away she's really good at hitting the nerves Yes. Uh, but eventually, like, she, you, you, like, get her in the face real good, and she, like, puts up her hand. She's like, oh, all right, all right, all right. That's, that's, yeah. Sorry, sorry, no, no, no. sorry. No, I got into it. Yeah, that's fine. That's, it's good. It's good. Uh, but I do need a break. And she, like, kind of stretches and, like, grabs a towel and, like, wipes the sweat off of her face and pushes her hair back. And uh, she goes, yeah, thanks, Boomer. It's been hard transitioning. I know how it feels. I've been there before. You know, I, uh, I don't tell many people this, but, I used to work for the Vori. She raises her eyebrows, like half mopping her face with a towel and goes, right. Yeah, you're that. Sure. I guess I could tell from the tats. Right. Those. Uh, well, you know how you end any good workout with a beer with a beer. Let's do it. I hope you stock the fridge with my favorite. And she grins. <laughs> well, funny. You should say that. It's kind of my favorite, too. Uh, yeah, and you two, you and your new workout buddy, uh, uh, workout buddy, <laughs> uh, go into the, the kitchen and uh, crack open a few cold ones. We tell a bunch of jokes. They're not entirely appropriate, but that's okay. Yeah, she gets she gets a few drinks in her, and uh, and she she's quite she's kind of cusses a lot. She swears like a sailor after like beer number three. Uh, it's weirdly attractive. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, with that, we will end this session. I'm so excited to begin construction on the submazine. <laughs> submazine! This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, sponsored, or specifically approved by the Tops Company Incorporated. Shadowrun is a trademark of the Tops Company Incorporated. All rights reserved. Go to www.shadowruntabletop.com for more information.